Africa rise and shine Africa zora Africa amka na unai Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802 and on www.channelafrica.co.za. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa, Tabisoluhoko and Figile Lingwati. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa. The world marks Nelson Mandela International Day and South Africa's state capture inquiry postponed until Friday. In economics news, Kenya urges regional states to go digital in war on corruption. And in sports news, South Africa book a spot in the Netball World Cup semifinals. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. The South African President Cyril Ramaphosa has called on parliamentarians and citizens to emulate the late former President Nelson Mandela. He says tolerance and friendship are some of the values which Madiba stood for. Ramaphosa was delivering the presidency budget vote in the National Assembly a day before the world will commemorate International Mandela Day. The international icon would have turned 101 years old. This was Ramaphosa's message in the house in honor of Madiba. And so in this Mandela month, I'd like to invite everyone to take a moment to commit themselves to keeping Madiba's legacy alive in both word and in deed. A legacy of humanism, of friendship, of fellowship, of decency, of partnership, and of tolerance. It is these universal and timeless values that will guide us along the path towards the South Africa that we all want. The Nelson Mandela Foundation says on this year's International Mandela Day, its focus is on seeking ways of addressing what it terms intergenerational poverty. Hundreds of activities are expected to take place around the country to mark the day. The United Nations officially declared the day in November 2009, with the first UN Mandela Day being held on the 18th of July 2010, the Foundation's Chief Executive Officer, Selo Hatang, explains. It starts with uh, making sure that you get your systems right for the little ones, that you don't have a system where it's a draw of the lottery. Uh, what family were you born in? Which suburb were you born in? Sometimes, if not most of the time, what color of skin you have. Still something that informs uh, what happens in our country. And uh, we're trying our best to then turn the wheel on that. Yesterday I was uh, in Northwest in a school called Unkhopotativa. The level of poverty there is, is still just uh, mind-boggling. The Democratic Republic of Congo's Health Minister Oli 
Ilunga has welcomed the World Health Organization's move to declare the outbreak of Ebola and the DRC a public emergency of international concern. The health minister says the new designation will change little on the ground as Congolese medics have been treating the outbreak as an emergency for almost a year. The World Health Organization's announcement comes after two new cases of the disease spreading were revealed. The BBC's Imogen Fox has the details. A case has been discovered in the city of Goma. That's a city of well over a million people on the border with Rwanda. There has been another case, albeit isolated, of a woman who crossed the border from DRC into Uganda, clearly with the Ebola virus. She subsequently went back to DRC but has since died. She was in a public market trading fish in Uganda and was unwell and they're still trying to trace the people she was in contact with. Activists in Ethiopia are set to declare a new region for the for their Sadama ethnic group in defiance of the central government. Residents of the southern city of Hawassa are worried that it could lead to violence. Hawassa City is the capital of the multi-ethnic southern region's nation. But South some Sadama claim it as the capital of their own new region. The Sadama have for years stressed to leave the diverse southern nations, nationalities and peoples region of which they are a part and create their own state. The dream gained fresh momentum after Prime Minister Ambiye Ahmed came to power last year, promising wide-ranging reforms. Preventing the formation of a state could spark violence, but granting it could trigger unrest between minorities within the region. And finally, several people have died in a fire at an animation studio in the Japanese city of Kyoto. Police are investigating a possible arson attack but have not indicated the death toll. However, they say more than 30 people were injured. That's the news. Headlines at 7.30 Central African Time. We, the people of South Africa, feel fulfilled that humanity has taken us back into its bosom. The world has seen how deeply he believes in freedom, human dignity, and the right of the individual to fulfill his or her dream. I think for the rest of the world, his legacy will be the symbolism of his own character of his extraordinary gift for forgiveness and reconciliation. Nelson Mandela is a living embodiment of the highest values of the United Nations. Nelson Mandela, South Africa's giant in history. South Africa's President Cyril Ramaphosa dedicated part of his budget vote speech to what the late former President Nelson Mandela stood for to encourage reconciliation. He delivered the presidency budget vote in the National Assembly. The president faced a robust and tense debate from some opposition parties, especially the DA and the EFF. The budget vote debate lasted for almost six hours, as Mercedes Percent tells us more. The president's budget vote speech came a day before the world celebrates International Mandela Day. He encouraged parliamentarians and citizens to emulate Madiba. And so in this Mandela month, I'd like to invite everyone to take a moment to commit themselves to keeping Madiba's legacy alive in both word and in deed. A legacy of humanism, of friendship, of fellowship, of decency, 
of partnership and of tolerance. It is these universal and timeless values that will guide us along the path towards the South Africa that we all want. The president told MPs that the presidency will be the nerve center of policy coordination across government. He says the new unit located in his office will focus on evidence-based policy making. Public policy must be evidence-based and effectively coordinated. And it is for this reason that we have at the center of government reconstituted the policy unit in the presidency as the nerve center of policy coordination across government. The new policy unit will be leading evidence-based policy making. It will also liaise with a number of think tanks and research institutions and have line of sight of strategic policy interventions. The unit has already hit the ground running by working through the cluster system that we have in government and intergovernmental structures. DA leader Musi Maimani has challenged President Ramaphosa to appear before the Zondo State Capture Commission of Inquiry to set the record straight following revelations made by former President Jacob Zuma. Mr. Zuma's uh, testimony should either be that of a deranged individual or someone who's actually telling the truth. In Zuma's own words, he says the nine wasted years. There were many who are sitting here who were party to those decisions to do in those nine years. In fact, he says it was the deployment committee which you headed up. So, Mr. President, you sat at number two to number one. So all I want to know, and you were silent then, will you be silent now or will you take action and guarantee this house tomorrow when you come to respond that you will go to the commission and set the record straight for all South Africa? EFF leader Julius Malema told the president that he has donated the Public Investment Corporation to a capitalist faction led by Trevor Manuel and his wife, Maria Ramos. Malema was critical of the appointment of Ramos to the interim PIC board, while the Deputy Minister of Finance, David Masondo, has been excluded. With the current board appointed by your Minister of Finance, my homeboy, with due respect, you have effectively donated the PIC to a capitalist faction led by Trevor Manuel and his wife Maria Ramos, who was involved in fixing of the South African currency. She has confessed to that. Maria Ramos and Trevor Manuel are the most trusted ground forces of the white capitalist establishment, and they unashamedly do everything in their power to please the Ruperts and Rothschilds. Why is the Deputy Minister of Finance not appointed to be the chairperson of the PIC board, despite the fact that he holds a PhD, making him more qualified than all those capitalist stooges you appointed in the PIC board? COPE leader Musiwale Kota had questions about the deployment of armed forces on the Cape Flats. This style of applying force to control society we have inherited from the old order of apartheid. When they did not know how to control us, they put the police in which was a police force and not a police service. When the police service uh, failed, they added the armed forces. And they killed a lot of innocent people. And we know why they, they failed. Because they did not know where to find the freedom fighters. IFP leader Prince Mangosu Tubutelezi is worried that the presidential summit on gender-based violence that was hosted by the presidency last year may have been just a talk shop. Where is the budget to track progress on the presidential summit 
on gender-based violence, which the Deputy President mentioned. That summit was held seven months ago, yet government is still talking about how to implement its resolutions. Closing the debate was ANC MP Mondli Gungubele, who slammed the DA and the EFF for their criticism of the president and the governing party. Now, in DA, you speak about where you govern. If you go 17, 18 and check the financial ratios of Joburg, the ratios of Joburg, you must go and read them, deteriorated since DA took over. There's a list of municipalities that have been found wanting on the wasteful expenditure, fruitless expenditure, unauthorized expenditure. Number one is Pretoria, Tswane. That is where TA is governing. Let me come to, to the self-appointed commander-in-chief. The commander-in-chief, he says in the ANC, the center is not holding because he wants to build a cult in the ANC. ANC is a democratic organization. It is led movement with independent individuals participating freely, not up to an individual aura. Because we are not a cult, we are a democratic organization. And on a lighter note, it seems as if National Assembly Speaker Tandi Mudise was unaware that Public Enterprises Minister Pravin Gordan's second name is Jamnandas and that his surname is Gordan. Malema referred to him as Jamnandas through most of his speech as he slammed Gordon. And it's not us. There was a report compiled about the cabal and Jamnandas' name was there. The same way you are scared of Zuma, Honorable we Malema. took him on, we Honorable dropped Malema. him today sitting in the commission Malema. like a lost soul. Honorable we will do Malema. the same with Jamnandas. Honorable Malema, in this house, he is Honorable Pravin. Honorable Jamnandas. He is Honorable Pravin. Honorable Jamnandas is his name, Chair. His surname is Pravin. His surname is Kodan. Not Pravin. My apologies is Honorable Kodan. Mr. Kodan. President Cyril Ramaphosa is expected to reply to the budget vote debate this afternoon. Former South Africa's President Khalima Mutlante says South Africa's constitution can only be honoured, respected and promoted by preserving the social values that the late former President Nelson Mandela stood for. Mutlante was giving a public lecture on the social values of the struggle icon in Pretoria on on Wednesday, ahead of today's International Mandela Day celebrations. The lecture was hosted under the theme, Is the Government and the Society Living the Ideals of Dada Mandela's Legacy? Maluti Obuseng was there. Nelson Mandela Day is an international day in which individuals are called to take action and inspire change. This means to do something beneficial to those who are unable to do so for themselves. Non-racialism, equality, justice for all, transparency and democracy are some of the social values identified that Madiba stood for. Motlante says everybody should embrace those values as they are guiding. The principles within our constitution are therefore sacred. They underpin social values that Madiba lived by and serve as a guide to an individual's actions, beliefs and emotional systems. An individual cannot be separated from the broad society he lives in and these social values are critical for self-development, for molding your personality, perceptions, emotional intelligence, ethics, 
moral courage and more. Motlante further says commercialization of the country's iconic days is as the result of lack of education on the history of the liberation. He says commercialization of important days robs the country of the values of those days. It is a lack of deep historic engagement in the absence of dialogue around humanitarian heritage that allows for commercial objectivization of our legacy. This generates duplicity and tokenism and robs us of our inheritance. The social values that were fought and died for that lay the foundation of our constitution. Values and ethics that shine a light in the darkest of times that guide us when we struggle to find good leadership. Motlante says Mandela's social values are a legacy to be preserved. A time where loss of human dignity is common and literal, where freedoms, rights, and the sanctity of life are increasingly vulnerable, we must choose the holistic philosophy of Nelson Mandela's, the leader, the fighter, the healer, and the father, as a starting point for action. The country and elsewhere in the world, people will be out to do something to better lives of others in the spirit of Madiba. I'm Maluti Ubuseng in Pretoria. South Africans must brace themselves for a busy Thursday as hundreds of activities will take place around the country in celebration of the annual Nelson Mandela International Day. A businessman from the Oar Tambo region in the Eastern Cape province has contributed positively to change the lives of the children at Mzonja Children's Home in Ngeleni. Lutumo Mjanyelwa, who owns a road construction company, has donated benches and vertical garden made up of recycled plastic bottles to honor the, etho- the ethos of the late former President Mandela. These bottles are collected from Libode, Ngeleni and Mtata. The young businessman Lutumo Mjanyelwa says he was inspired by Nelson Mandela's love for children. He says the vertical garden will help children to understand environmental issues as it is made from recycled plastics. Mjanyelo says this will also help the children acquire skills to produce food for themselves. Nelson Mandela was very close to the kids and so we decided, you know what, on the Nelson Mandela month, let's do something for the kids as well. So hence giving uh, back to this community. So we wanted to teach them uh, how to, to produce their own food. Uh, at the same time to produce their own food, uh, taking care of the environment as well. Because uh, coming up with the idea of vertical garden is because we want to uh, do the recycling. At the same time, we're also teaching kids how to manufacture their own food. Mtanyeba says these projects will also have positive impact on the environment in the rural areas. Pollution, it's, it's a worldwide problem. So trying to repurpose uh, some of the waste material that is out there, it's one of the key things that the society needs to think about very, very deeply. So by coming up with this, we think this initiative will, will move and other people will start doing something like this so that at least the environment will be clean again because we really, really need to take care of our environment. So now introducing the to kids, they will do that and then they will teach their, 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 their children as well when they, they grow older. 
Mzom Cha Children's Home Manager Nobum Shola says they are grateful for what the business has done. I feel happy about this vertical garden because it will help us and assist our children. It will help Mzomcha to generate income and we can sell to the nearby shops. This small garden will be helpful to others and to children and to the community at large because we want to spread it to another communities. Villagers have also welcomed donation. And the civics construction has changed our lives, especially to the most disadvantaged households, and continues to help the open homes. We are learning a lot from this. We did not know anything about plowing, spinach, using plastic bottles. We are really blessed to have this kind of a job. We are happy and would like to learn more from this garden of a special kind. The overreaching objective of Nelson Mandela International Day is to inspire individuals to take action to help change the world for the better and in so doing build a global movement for, for good. I'm Kululego Nyembezi, Malene Eastern Cape. This is one of the most important moments in the life of our country. I stand before you filled with deep pride and joy. Pride in the ordinary, humble people of this country. You have shown such a calm, patient determination to reclaim this country as your own from the rooftops Free at last. Disagreements between former South Africa's President Jacob Zuma's lawyers and the State Inquiry Commission's evidence leader, advocate Paul Pretorius, finally came to a head on the third day of Zuma's testimony. Having expressed reservations from day one about the Commission's terms of reference as well as various preparatory processes yesterday after Zuma's lawyers threatened that their client would be pulled out, an agreement was reached to adjourn proceedings until Friday. Nomadizo Mandel reports. Early on day three, a glimpse of things to come. Former President Jacob Zuma's lawyers again objected to the process followed in relation to their client. Advocate Moses Kakane complained about the Commission's advocate Paul Pristorius's request to revisit former GCIS CEO Temba Masego's evidence. I'm sorry to break what I, I promised. Yes. I do think this is problematic. We get a list of names of people well, whose evidence is going to be dealt with, right? Yes. And my client has to deal with Mr. Masego and it moves to Barbara Hogan. And when we're dealing with Barbara Hogan, my learned friend goes back to, I think it's a problem. What I do find particularly disturbing is the manner in which control is sought to be exercised over the way the legal team uh, has planned and is asking uh, its question. Things appeared to stabilize as the former president was questioned on the testimony of former public enterprises minister Barbara Hogan. Hogan had claimed in earlier testimony that Zuma pushed for the appointment of Transnet CEO Siabonga Gama despite her and the board's protestations. In his testimony, Zuma said that cabinet is the final arbiter on the appointment of senior executives of state-owned companies. I couldn't have said this. You could not have said no. this. <coughs> yes. Because it means I would also be undermining the process itself. At a level when the minister consults, uh, you might express a view or not, but it does not determine the final decision because the final decision must be a product of the process. I would not have said this because I would have been saying this is my person finished doesn't work like that. However, the piece did not hold as questions by advocate Pristorius on Zuma's role in Gamma's subsequent appointment brought things to a head. I'm being really cross-examined, mm. very thoroughly, mm. 
on the details. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what would be the outcome of that. Mm -hmm. If we're looking on that particular allegation, and I'm saying if I go through all of that and the commission is not taking my answer to the question whether I interfered or not, even if I've given the answer, we still go to the details. <clears throat> For me, what, what other answer must I give that will make the commission to be satisfied? is to go to the details in one form or the other. Zuma's lawyer advocate Moses Kakane finally stepped in, threatening to advise his client to pull out of the commission's proceedings. I have a view that my client was brought in here under false pretenses, and now I need him to make up his mind whether he wants to be cross-examined, because it's clear, it's just been confirmed, he's being cross-examined. All I'm asking, Chair, because I advise my client to respect this process, come here, cooperate with it, I want him to consider that position because I think I advised him in, in bona fide, but I do not think I was right. And I would like him to consider his position because now it's clear to me he's being cross-examined on the version, not his version, on what people said. Following a meeting in chambers, Deputy Chief Justice Raymond Zondo announced that both parties will be given time to consult on the way forward. A decision has been taken that let there be time to look at issues and see if common ground can be found so that then we can continue. So we are therefore going to adjourn the proceedings uh, until Friday morning. I am confident that there are reasonable prospects that a way will be found. That was South Africa's Deputy Chief Justice Raymond Zondo ending that report by Nomalizo Mandel. Nigeria's ruling all-progressive Congress has cautioned former President Olusegun Obasanjo and others against making inflammatory statements over insecurity, saying criminality has no tribe. This following the death of Funke Olakunrin, daughter of Afenefere, leader Pa Ruben Fasoranti, who was killed by kidnappers. Channel Africa's correspondent in Lagos, Collins Atohengbe Hasmo. Once in a while, Chief Olusegun Obasanjo, one of the longest-serving heads of government in Nigeria, would come up with a position letter on national issues calling the attention of the incumbents to possible cracks that could cause avoidable calamity in the political world of the nation. One of such letters was written to President Muhammad Buhari, whose administration has faced a barrage of tongue lashing for alleged poor handling of security matters in Nigeria. The lapses Chief Obasanjo noted has caused the death of innocent Nigerians, and when culprits are not apprehended, it creates a feeling of possible tacit support from government as the former chief of army staff general Theophilos Dan Juma once alluded. It was the second in the series of such letters to Buhari and in this case also Buhari seems to see it as unpatriotic. Here is how he responded to such warning when he received a group of his supporters at the state house in Abuja. We acknowledge there are also new and emerging challenges of kidnapping and banditry. Those who politicize the isolated instance of insecurity are not patriotic Nigerians. Truth is that when the ordinary Nigerian gets assaulted, kidnapped or even killed, little is done by governments to show that they matter. 
on the 3rd of July when the eldest daughter of the leader of the pan-Yoruba group Afenifere, Funke Ola Korin, was shot and killed by a suspected headsman, Nigeria came to terms with the reality and began to call for a deeper reflection on the states of the nation's security. President Goodluck Jonathan was one of those who visited Parafasoronti, father of the victim. He said the way she died was nothing but terrorism. Every generation of human beings faces problems and that generation must find ways of solving that problem. Every government faces some unique problems. The security has been with us. I remember that minute after the Civil War, as the first time we experienced armed robbery from Lagos. From armed robbery, graduated to kidnapping, and now some kind of terrorist attacks all over the country. Because when people just come out on the road and spray bullets on innocent people, that's terror attack. That's terrorism. And uh, so it's a major problem to the country. And my belief is that um, federal government, working with the state governments, must design a different approach. I was there as a president for some time. Security challenges were there with me. I also inherited some. Everybody struggled, but it is getting worse every day. The former president's observation cannot be taken as coming from an unpatriotic Nigerian. It could have been a different ball game if the observations were from just one side of the country or polity. Senator Ahmed Sani is a member of the ruling All Progressive Congress from Northern Nigeria. Uh, we are all Nigerians and we have seen what has been going on. So many less privileged ones have also been shot and killed. You go to our villages, especially in my own constituency, where you can hardly get 50,000 naira in a household. But these people are massacred. The masses are suffering seriously. So federal government has a responsibility to protect lives and properties. The community policing that we are talking about is very important. I will call on the federal government, the Senate, and all the security agencies to come together to see how they can come up with a holistic approach that will solve these problems. A cross-section of Nigerians reacting to the incidences of terror attack and callous killings of Nigerians says there must be a synergy championed by the president. For the sanctity of life, a lot needs to be done about security, but we tighten up our security. In recent times, a number of people have been killed in Yoruba land. The security situation in the country is perverse, and every part of the country has one story or another to tell of the situation. So it will be the duty of the Senate to hold uh, an all-encompassing, an all-inclusive national summit on security, including the executive arm of government, of course, because we have to work together with them to ensure that we address this situation. We urge the president to sit up and avert the looming bloody national crisis. A passenger's letter is a heroic, courageous, and national interest-driven effort of a father of the nation. The national chairman of the main opposition political party, Uchi Sekondo, says the People's Democratic Party supports former President Olusegun Obasanjo's opinion as expressed in the open letter to President Buhari. The PDP wholeheartedly associates itself with the position of these patriotic Nigerians and urge President Buhari to respond appropriately and timely by declaring state of emergency on security in the country and go further urgently to address the issue raised in Obasanjo's letter. I cannot agree less with the former president. The level of bloodletting 
occasioned by the barrage of criminalities across the country can only be happening in a country without government. One may not exactly know when a genuine observation and advice will fall into the grid of expression made from unpatriotic platform. But without doubt, there's a high sense of insecurity in Nigeria and even Buhari himself had at a time in the past had a brush with Boko Haram terrorists, just as his aide-de-camp's father-in-law was kidnapped earlier in the year. If that does not give him an inkling of his security, then it could be a case of the more you look, the less you see. From Lagos, Nigeria, I am Collins Nosara to him before Channel Africa News. Our headlines up next with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musan. The headline, South African President Cyril Ramaphosa calls on parliamentarians and citizens to emulate the late former President Nelson Mandela as the country marks International Mandela Day. DRC's Health Minister Oli Ilunga welcomes the World Health Organization's move to declare the outbreak of Ebola in the DRC a public emergency of international concern. And activists in Ethiopia set to declare a new region for their Sadama ethnic group in defiance of the central government. Those are the stories making headlines. Thank you, Anne. It is 7.32 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Asia and Africa are home to nearly three quarters of overweight and obese children worldwide, largely driven by consumption of unhealthy diets. Growing concern for obesity has been highlighted in the latest UN annual report titled The State of Food Security and Nutrition in the World, released this week. Although breakfast is deemed a key meal to making sure that children as well as adults can function well throughout the day, many breakfast products are said to be lacking the essential nutritional benefits. Joining us on the line is Ntsako Matye, a dietitian in South Africa who will help us understand the link between unhealthy breakfast and obesity. Good morning, Zakun. Thank you so much for joining us on Africa Rise and Shine. Morning, Lily. Thank you so much for having me. Now, firstly, let's look at the, the issue of breakfast, eating patterns um, associated with obesity. So, skipping breakfast, like you've mentioned, studies have shown that people who skip breakfast have a significantly higher risk of obesity. And this is due to when people skip breakfast, they tend to make less healthy choices during lunch or dinner throughout the day. And obviously this unhealthy snacking or unhealthy meal choices later on is what contributes to overweight and obesity. So by having breakfast, it's shown that people will then make healthier choices throughout the day and then obviously that will lead to less weight gain. Now, the issues or the concerns or consequences of consuming high sugar content in your first meal of the day, if you look at uh, some breakfasts, it could be cereals and, uh, you know, people adding sugar, you know, which is not really, you find one person having one teaspoon of sugar and another having five. Yes, definitely. It's important to make healthy choices when consuming a breakfast. Often people don't realize there are other food choices that have a better benefit. For instance, having a protein at breakfast 
is a better choice because it increases your your feeling of fullness. And obviously, sugar is a very important aspect. Like you've mentioned that a lot of cereals do contain high amounts of sugar. There are other cereals on the market, such as Future Smart Oats with Ancient Grains, that is reduced sugar so that you can still get the benefit of the grains without getting the risk of consuming a lot of sugar. Speaking of those products, certain products are very expensive. So how do people um, work around buying the correct products to ensure that they get a healthy, nutritious breakfast, which is weight controlling and, uh, you know, preventing diseases later in life? So basically, it's about knowing what, what you should be having for breakfast. So recommendations say, you know, you should be having a low GI breakfast, which will help keep you, give you energy, but keep you fuller for longer. So you're not getting those... Um, hungry cravings. So you want to look for grains that are low GI and then also a good protein source. So having a bit of an egg or um, some avocado or nuts at breakfast also really helps you. So with cost, it's important to know that you know some of the, I want to say, cheaper options are not necessarily the healthier options. You want to then invest a little bit of extra money buying a product that may seem expensive, but you're getting the right nutritional content in it. Also speaking of cost, uh, if you, you're you at a shopping center and you look at the aisle where, um, you know, the cereals are, um, whether it's uh, grain, oats or whichever, those generally are, in terms of pricing or costing, they're, they're quite similar in prices. And you find that the um, expensive, the more expensive ones are the ones that have got high content, uh, high sugar content. You know, and you think of children, the minute they see the packaging or that that's exactly what they want. Yeah, it's a very sad fact that, you know, with marketing, it is aimed at the attracting customers. But one thing that we need to be aware of is reading the labels. You know, we have to turn the box around, read the label, find out what is in your product, find out how much sugar is in there so that you can make a right decision which cereal you would want to purchase. Now, is the issue of unhealthy breakfast given enough attention in discussions around obesity? Not at all. Um, I feel that um, the issue of breakfast is overlooked and more into, in terms of a high-fat diet or a high-sugar diet is the things that are looked at when you consider the issues of obesity and overweight. And breakfast has been shown to research that it can help in the management of, of weight by helping you make better food choices. So breakfast is put it to the side a lot of the time and it is a very big component of a healthy lifestyle and a healthy eating pattern. Are people becoming more busy during the day, um, you know, and struggling to get time or to find time to sit down and have, uh, whether it's a quick meal, uh, you know, what are the concerns around that uh, infrequent consumption of breakfast where you find a person, some people will uh, whether drink uh, the protein shakes or get to the office and be sitting at their desk and, and you know, munching on something. Time management is very key when it comes to breakfast. Definitely. It all comes down to the planning of making sure that you have planned a breakfast. So even if you're going to work, you can then have a breakfast at your desk that is still healthy. Um, At Future Life, we have a lot of products where you can just 
mixed with water or with milk, and they're convenient and easy to use, but they are still healthy and contain all the nutrients required, especially a protein source like you have mentioned that you could be getting from a protein shake. Now, a very difficult one is, uh, you know, having most breakfast cereals um, claiming or boasting on health claims and with studies showing that these health, health claims are an effective way to mislead people into believing that these products are healthier than most. What's your take on these? And obviously it's a marketing tool, but, uh, you know, how is it even a possibility to get them regulated? So in South Africa, food products are regulated with what they can claim when it comes to health claims. Um, certain claims cannot be made without being justified. So for instance, a reduced sugar in a product, if a, a product claims reduced sugar, then the product must have certain amounts of sugar in it. So in South Africa, we really do have good um, legislation around it so that false claims cannot be made on products. So usually when a product does claim a lower sugar content, then you would see that in the ingredients list or in the nutritional table. How do we then deal and focus, um, for instance, um, in school, uh, you know, parents not being able to or having time to make breakfast for their children and then children rely on the school cafeteria, for instance. I know certain schools have uh, sort of changed what a cafeteria will look like for um, children where they only serve healthy snacks or healthy food product. But in certain places, this is not the case. I think it's very important that we don't shift the responsibility of giving our children breakfast to the school systems. For you've mentioned that you know a lot of cafeterias, some of them don't have the healthier options, obviously because they also are selling products. So they want to sell products that would be more suitable or attractive to children. So as parents, generally, we just need to be finding that time, investing a bit of extra time to ensure that our children are getting a healthy breakfast, whether it's in the form of packing it in for them, um, just a, a sandwich, a brown bread sandwich with a bit of peanut butter, just to make sure that your children are getting the correct nutrition because we can't be relying on a system that we don't know what it's serving our children. So it just comes back to taking responsibility and making sure that your family is making the correct nutritional choices. Nzako, I wish I could take this further because I've got so many questions for you. It's just that, unfortunately, we have run out of time. Um, Thank you so much for joining us. We'll leave it there for now. Thank you so much for having me. That's Nzako Marke, a dietitian with Future Life, a functional food company based in South Africa, joining us on the line. Johnny Clegg, the white Zulu, loved and acclaimed the world over. The world that remains beset by so much human suffering, poverty, and deprivation. It is in your hands to make of our world a better one for all. From July 18, raise your hand and make a dedicated effort to keep helping others in any way you can. Make every day a Mandela Day. It is in your hands to make a difference.
The death of legendary South African music icon Johnny Clegg has devastated artists across the world. Professor Surya Govinda of Surya Langa Dance Company, which debuted at the 1994 inauguration of the late former President Nelson Mandela, performed live with Clegg on stage. Govinda says Clegg was the epitome of social cohesion in South Africa. Inspired by Mandela's vision of intercultural harmony, Surya Langa created a uniquely South African version of a classical Indian dance fused with traditional Zulu dance. Governor spoke to Tashlan Naidu in Durban. I actually was devastated. I felt really, really miserable that somebody with, of his stature and somebody who's con- contributing so much to South Africa and the whole uh, business of social cohesion in South Africa should pass away so early in his life. For me, you know, 66 is just like it's nothing honestly it's ridiculous that he's not allowed the time to just take a little break initially though because he's just done a world tour your dance company surya langa performed a johnny clegg song at nelson mandela's inauguration why did you choose such a song for that uh, special occasion 1994 that most euphoric time that most amazing time when we were getting our first black president. Now, I was allowed to vote. I was already a lecturer, but I'd never voted in my own country, in the country of my birth, uh, before. It was so exciting for me to be understand how that real part of my life was clarified. I was looking at different pieces, and I wanted to actually use some wonderful Maskandi rhythms, some some beautiful Isizulu poetry because I live in KwaZulu-Natal and the majority of the people in my part of the world speak Isizulu and I I love the language and love the rhythms and I was looking for a piece and I actually talked to students at the University of uh, Devon Westville which it was then and we all discussed this together and um, we came up with looking at a couple of songs, and the one was uh, Johnny Kidd and Sabuka's Asim Bonanga, which just, I, I think it was a perfect fit for me. How would you describe the strides that Johnny Clegg's music has made in terms of social cohesion and bringing a once divided nation together? That particular concert was called Many Cultures, One Nation. And I actually think he is, he, he epitomizes that. He's called the White Zulu in other parts of the world. He's taken our beautiful uh, traditions to other parts of the world. And he allows himself to be subsumed by all these kinds of cultures that are, that are continuously surrounding him. I think it's fortuitous that he actually passes on at this time because I just have this lovely idea of how wonderful the the birthday celebrations are going to be in heaven and how he's going to really be dancing in the arms of that warm embrace that Madiba gives everybody when he actually sees them and Johnny Clegg is now going to be dancing with him at his birthday party in heaven. That's Professor Surya Govender of the Surya Langa Dance Company speaking to Taslan Naidu. Our economics updates up next with Tabi Solohoko.
Thanks, Sabalungile, and a good morning. A Kenyan president, Uhuru Kenyatta, has urged the country's neighbors to plug into Kenya's digital strategy to help stem the free flow of illicit cash in the region. Speaking in the capital, Nairobi, after unveiling the Source 21 Comesa International Trade Fair, the president noted that the adoption of the digital strategy by other regional states would help stem the vice. Other heads of state who participated in the roundtable included Uganda's Uwerim Seveni, Zambia's Ed Galungu, and the acting president of Mauritius, Pele Viapuri. Lesotho Tourism Development Corporation says the country needs to strengthen its ties with neighboring countries to improve its tourism potential. It adds that being close to South Africa, which has superior tourism marketing muscle, Lesotho can benefit by tapping into the tourists visiting South Africa so that they can also visit Lesotho before returning to their countries. Collaborate if they really want tourism to change the lives of the people. Lesotho Tourism says that the two countries have to collaborate if they really want tourism to change the lives of the people. The median pay of chief executive officers across all sectors in South Africa has increased by 4.9% to 5.4% a year. This is according to the latest Executive Director's Practices and Remuneration Trends 2019 report released by PricewaterCooper. The report indicates that the most reward package for CEOs similarly include a guaranteed portion, a short-term bonus and a long-term incentive. Naledi Ngobo reports. The report indicates that the remuneration packages of all executive directors, including CEOs and chief financial officers of all companies listed on the Johannesburg Stock Exchange across all sectors, has increased by 4.9%, taking the midpoint pay of these executives to around 4.4 million rand a year. Ghana's Minister of Foreign Affairs and Regional Integration, Shelley Ayorko. Botchwe has told the government of China that Ghana was making good progress with the utilization of 3 billion US dollar China Development Bank loan. The minister briefed China about how the loan facility was being utilized when she held bilateral talks with the Chinese counterpart Wang Yi. The talks were held on the sidelines of the FOCAC coordinators meeting which took place recently in China. Egypt's economy grew 5.6% in 2018-19 fiscal year and is on the right track as it completes IMF-backed reforms. The budget deficit came in at 8.2% of gross domestic product, which was slightly below an official forecast of 8.4%. Egypt is emerging from a three-year economic reform program tied to a 12 billion US dollar loan from the International Monetary Fund. The U.S. dollar is trading at 358.40 Nigerian Naira, 10.43 Botswana Pula, 101.75 Kenyan Shilling, and 12.54 Zambian Kwacha. In BRICS currencies, one U.S. dollar will cost you 3.76 Brazilian Rule, 62.88 Russian Ruble, 68.64 Indian Rupee, 6.87 Chinese Yuan, and 13.97 to the South African Rand. It's also trading at 80 pence to the British pound and at 89 cents to the euro. Let's look at commodities markets now. Gold, $1,422. Platinum, $850. Pounds. Brand crude, $63.90 a barrel. 
From an African perspective, I'm Tabiso Lohoku. A sports update up next with Figile Lingwati. First up in our sports update this hour, we begin with uh, Netball News. South Africa extended their unbeaten record to qualify for their first ever World Cup's Netball semi-final. The Spa Proteas clashed with England in what could be their toughest test of character at the Liverpool Arena in England tonight. Both teams propelled to the semi-finals after winning all their five matches. South Africa qualified last night after defeating continental champions the She Cranes of Uganda while England rolled over Trinidad on Tobago. President of South African Netball Association, Cecilia Molokwane, says the team has done the country proud. Yes, the girls have done brilliantly so far, and we're so proud of them in South Africa, and especially as Netball South Africa, because we have made sure that they prepare the way they should to come into this tournament. And moreover, we try to sit with the coach and make sure that the coach, we give her all that she wanted and all that she asked for, that the girls be prepared. I mean, you saw them going to Wales to play the test series in Wales. After that, they came here, and they, up to so far, they have did wonders. The other semi-final features Australia and New Zealand. Experienced Springbok lock Eben Elizabeth has been handed the captaincy of Saturday's first rugby championship match against Australia at Ellis Park in Johannesburg on Saturday. Reynald Elstad, who is a loose forward, and scrum half Herschel Yankees will both make their test debuts on the high field. Springbok's coach Rasi Rasmus says he's expecting positive results from his selection. Yeah, we have to focus on, on the World Cup without a doubt. Uh, but we can't focus on that and lose all the games and go with no momentum into that. So it's a bit of keeping the eye on both of those balls. Uh, uh, and I guess the, the, the challenge would be if we get a hiccup, you know, to, to keep on getting better as we go along and keep patience. Uh, um, and that's why we selected the team the way we want to select it. If we, if we went all out for this game against Australia, we really wouldn't have had a chance against New Zealand. We would have flown out on a Sunday, get there on a Tuesday, have one training session against the world's best team currently, uh, and we would just you know, we would have lost a lot of confidence there. So now at least we, we feel we have a competitive chance in both games, uh, and hopefully it, it works out for us. In football news, South African referee Victor Gomes will take charge of the Africa Cup of Nations final between Senegal and Algeria this Friday. A 36-year-old Gomes is regarded as one of the continent's top officials and will be handed, arguably, the biggest assignment of his career when he takes the whistle at Cairo International Stadium. Senegal booked their place in only a second AFCON final with a narrow 1-0 win over Tunisia in a drama-filled encounter. The Lions of Taranga have yet to win Africa's premier competition, losing in the 2002 final to Cameroon. Algeria will make their third final appearance this weekend and first since winning the 1990 Africa Cup of Nations title on home soil. Riyad Mahrez scored a last-minute goal to secure a 2-1 semi-final win over Nigeria to duly set up a second clash against Senegal at this year's tournament. The Desert Foxes beat Senegal 1-0 in the group stages. 
Meanwhile, the finals of Africa two international club competitions will each be played in one single match in future rather than over two legs as it is present. Head of the Confederation of African Football, Kef Ahmed Ahmed, says both the Kef Champions League final and the Kef Confederations Cup finals would consist of a single match, while Kef Vice President Amuji Pinik said the details were still being ironed out. And finally, Golf News Brooks Kupka will be bidding to win his fifth major in 10 attempts at the 10th 148th Open and he has added incentive to triumph at Royal Portrush this week. That's your sport news this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Recapping our top stories in Africa, rise and shine at the Sawa, the world marks Nelson Mandela International Day, and South Africa's state capture inquiry postponed until Friday. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producer Pumuzura Magadza, technical producer Revelino Ibrahim, and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at infochannelafrica.org or tweet us at Rise Shine Africa.